all religions or just kind of bumper pulls or guidelines to live a better life for everybody. It just kind of gives people value. Maybe you could take it to say that, you know, weaker people, weaker individuals need religion. So it just helps people who yes, have lack of direction. Crutch. I want to read this to you because I feel like I feel like you're gonna like this a lot, and I feel like this is a good point to make. But how we're gonna answer this question is we're gonna answer it through a story or a parable, an example of I don't know if you've heard of it, the six blind men and the elephant. Yes, I was gonna bring this up. I was I was I was right there, Cole. Like I was like when it comes to God, like I was just just an inch away from bringing up the blind men and the elephant. So I'm gonna. Get it started, and I'm yeah. sure you're going to go in more yeah. depth with it. But there's a there's six blind men, and there's an elephant. The elephant, or one man, puts his hand on the ear of the elephant, and he thinks it's a fan. One guy puts it on the belly. He thinks it's a wall. One guy puts his hand on the tail of the elephant, and he thinks it's a rope of some sorts. Um, the other guy puts his hand on the leg, and he's like, oh, this might be a tree, because yeah. they're blind, obviously. Yeah. Um, the other guy, the tusk, and he thinks it's a spear, and the uh, last guy, he puts his hand on the trunk of the elephant and he thinks it's a huge like anaconda snake. Okay. So they put their hand on this elephant and they keep guessing because they're blind. They're like, oh, it's something else that it is. And these people, these six blind men represent the religions of the world, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, Christianity, fill in any major world yeah. religion you want. The... Statement is that they think they have the truth, but to the person who is looking back at the elephant, yeah, it's making the statement, You are blind, you you can't possibly, you're just wandering around aimlessly. Yeah. But the problem is is that he yes. is claiming to be objective. He can see the elephant. He can see the elephant. They can't see the elephant, he can see the they elephant. They can't see the elephant. So so my response to that, if, if you know, it's rarely come up. There's been similar analogies that I've heard in actually when I've talked to people about Jesus. And I said, like, then worship the elephant, man. Yeah. Like, like, like if, you, if you think you have this unique, true perspective on who God is, like, it's, a, it's a, basically it's a, it's a poor analogy because you're actually, yeah, you're, you're sitting there saying that you have the authority and the, the actual perspective to perfectly judge objectively you're saying they're subjective i'm objective and it's it's hypocritical it's a hypocritical statement and i think it's interesting too i think it's that that highlights the motives of the person asking the question who's looking at these person because two questions you can simply ask yourself why do you believe that or what do you mean by that statement all religions have a general same purpose just to give somebody's life value what do you mean by that? Yeah. And what these people are doing is they're living their life by slogans. Like, it's a slogan. Yeah. All they're like, you just living their life. It's just, oh, man, religion. Man, that's just something that can give you life value. Oh, the Bible, it's it's been corrupted over time. It, yeah. People wrote it, and then people changed it. You know, the, you know, Jesus, he was a good guy, but he did, he, he sinned. Jesus, Jesus yeah. sinned. You know, all these hypotheticals, these slogans that people base their worldviews yeah, on. I believe in science, not in faith. I believe in evolution. Yeah. But the question is, okay, what do you mean by that? Yeah. And then you, and you inquire to it, and they're probably like, uh, maybe they can answer, maybe they won't. And you ask the second follow-up question, well, why or how did you, like, what, is, what evidence do you have to support that question? No. And you'll find out that most people... Don't actually ever look into the actual religions, the elephant yeah. that we're asking. The truth claims of those They're religions. just living their life 
based on these slogans and never actually. Yeah. So that's why they're looking at the elephant as their objective, but they haven't gone through and actually felt the elephant themselves yeah. and actually done the research themselves. So they're actually not even giving it ever a fair shake. Does does every religion have all the answers to every single thing? Again, my claim would be I'd, I'd want to say Christianity is the thing that you know is objectively true mm-hmm. that does give us ultimate answers. Um, but as a person who is flawed, who doesn't have perfect recall and doesn't have perfect knowledge, um, are there things I don't know? <laughs> like, absolutely, are there things yeah. that 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 any Christian you can meet, there are things about, there's truth claims about the Christian faith that they might not have investigated heavily. Right? So we can sympathize with that person that you're talking about yeah. who who hasn't looked looked at the evidence for their faith. Mm-hmm. Because I know many, many Christians who don't. The actual term would be epistemological humility. <laughs> Gosh. I won't say that. Like, basically a humility about how much we can possibly know yeah. as an individual. Sure. Um, but so I'd want to set that same standard. I think that's how you actually address that issue. It's like, do you understand? Like, I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And and can you admit that you don't know everything? Um, can you admit that science can't answer everything? Can you admit that there are difficult issues with religious cl- truth claims that we have to wrestle through, yeah. joyfully wrestle through in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because we we end up better on the other end of it when we wrestle through it. Um, so. Again, I think of the Christian talking to that person. Let's say they they think the Christian is the one holding the tail. Uh, I've heard of, they, they thought it was a broom before, or whatever, right, or a rope. Um, let's say they think that, and you're talking to that person. Well, you just think you just think that God's like a you know, the tail. You don't you don't have the whole picture, or whatever. And you could respond by saying like, Do you have the whole picture? Do you believe the ho- that you have the whole picture? And like the hope would be they would say no, right. So if they say yes, it's a whole other issue. The hope would would be that they say no, and the typical response I've heard is that you can't know, right? Um, the skeptic, the skeptical mm-hmm. argument, the skepticism-driven um, idea. Yeah. So, like you said, the response is actually, well, have you investigated the claims beyond a surface level? Mm-hmm. Um. Again, working with teenagers, this happens all the time. We'll get into an issue, talk about some big, big question. And I can tell that the teenager, well, it's the same for adults. They've, they've been sufficient with a surface level answer, you know, with, with a real. And it checks their box. Yeah. It, that's what it, like, that, that's the simple, like, you started with the Hinduism versus Christianity, but you can compare it. Anybody say Christianity, I don't know if that analogy works, but everybody knows Christianity is different than Judaism, yeah, and Islam. Islam. So in Hindu, you know, a Muslim would say we're different. Yeah, and it, it, like Islam, Jesus never died. Judaism, Jesus died, never rose. Christianity yeah. is the only one where Jesus rose, died, and rose from the yeah. dead. So Christianity is unique and exclusive in its yeah. view on Jesus. Yes, that's where it comes down to is that when when we get to this analogy. The competing truth claims about what we believe about God, or or the again we talk about morals, we talk about meaning. Again, there needs to be another in there. I don't I don't have it. Though. I'm, I'm working. It. I'm working. Like my it's brain's working in the background for sure. Um, 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 the, um, the competing truth claims about God that affect 
meaning and morals or the actual yeah. the the core issue at mm. hand. Judaism, Islam radically I want to say disagrees. I think there's a strong word there. Um is repelling to them. Repelling. Uh, the Trinity is repelling to them. Like it, it, like it becomes the source of division. That you go to a Muslim yeah. country and say that that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in person, one in essence. It's, it's heretical. It's, it's go to go to a Jewish you know synagogue and like they would radically disagree with that. Yep. Um, yep. And then that has a direct effect on meaning and morals. Yep. That that we believe God is not lonely. God is yeah. not somehow, you know, in eternity past, lonely. Just, I need yeah. somebody, I need help. <laughs> um, and so, so he makes people, right? That's what we, not what we believe. Yeah. We believe that he was perfect. Father, Son, and Spirit were in perfect harmony and perfect love, perfect unity. Um, the overflow of that love led to creation, not a desperate need in God's heart to be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a, a God who is alone... That that's a possible problem that you have. So you think? So you think the the simple answer? I mean, we're we're, we're kind of juggling those two questions. So I, yeah, I realized my I was realizing my example about the elephant was slightly different question than the answer of you know the Oreo analogy. You know, yeah. all the all the religions look from the top yeah. down the same, but when you look, they're mu- yeah. very different. So we're juggling those two at the same time, but specifically for. The person who's asking or saying the statement, all religions just provide people value, help yeah. them live a better life. You would say, in the loving way, heck no. Like, if you, what, what like, you would want to spur them into investigation. And I, I think that's, that, I think that's what I was getting at with the slogan statement is these yeah. people just, they never, and it's sad people, let's just make a challenge. All of us, like even to this day, you evangelize somebody. Someone will present you information. I was talking with a guy yesterday. He said something about Revelation. Okay, I had no idea what he was talking about. Like the That's, book of Revelation, or like, like I, I, new Revelation. Some, something about in the book of Revelation, okay. and that should spur me on to you all want to know to investigation and not you shouldn't cripple under hard questions. You take that analogy to like you presented with a guy who presents you information about evolution, presents you information about Islam. I was talking to some Muslims at Texas A&M University and they presented me with some hard stuff. Yeah. I didn't know the answer to it. That should spur me on. But you look at the the guy, the girl who's sitting back and has never really analyzed, never put the time in to investigate these claims and they're living their life by a slogan saying, you know all these all this stuff's just vague or yeah all religions the, the same yeah. and this this is we're using this these analogies of all religions are the same, but this goes into so many you can take the same perspective to all these hypothetical questions yeah. any anything you have wrong with the Bible anything you have wrong with Hinduism anything you have wrong with anything the thing we're saying is to pursue truth and knowledge yeah. and then when you're doing that Christianity then becomes the most likely like if i'm hedging my bets at a poker table that's basically because no one like you said earlier you said um make sure you're not claiming that you know everything about god yeah because no one knows all aspects every nature because his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts with perfect knowledge if he's god then we shouldn't be able to comprehend everything there should be a humility there there should be Um, a distance we could have a solidity like a, a solid you know as christians we can have a solid 
like grounding for our faith that we are confident. Yeah. But to have the arrogance is basically saying, well, like if you, you know, again, in that setting, they, they use somebody uses the elephant analogy, and you say, "Well, I just know better than you do. You don't know what you're talking about." That's not an argument to me. Like yeah. that's that's not like a valid, helpful argument. Yeah. On one, it doesn't help that person. Two, it's arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So again, like you, say the Muslim sitting in front of you, and they make some claims about, um, you know, some let's say. Trying to think of like what to, it yeah, is. to the Muslim. The, so the big yeah. one was the you know, the Quran, Muhammad. Like, yeah, Muhammad was born in the five hundreds. Came came around five seventy A.D. The Quran wasn't assembled till you know early six hundreds. Yeah. And they're claiming this is the direct word of God. And even in the Quran, it says to read the Old Testament and the yeah. New Testament. But they don't believe Jesus ever died. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to lean into. Was the yeah, idea yeah. of like. You know, they believe either Jesus swooned on the cross or yeah. he, he, he got replaced by somebody. Yeah. Um, so they believe Jesus was a prophet. Again, we believe Jesus is a prophet because he's the prophet like Moses from Deuteronomy 18. Sure. He's the greater greater Moses is what he is, mm-hmm. right? Um, Hebrews talks about this. Um, he's more than a prophet. Like, yeah. um, so when, when it comes to logical issues... Like you're sitting there putting it on the, you put it on the table and say, okay, is Jesus merely a prophet? Or is he truly God, mm-hmm. right? Um, he can be a prophet at the same time, right? He can be truly God and, and yeah. prophet. This is Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, right? The idea yeah. of God spoke through prophets many times, and many ways. question to clarify yeah. people who may not know what you're talking about. Muslims don't believe that Jesus was fully God. They believe he was his son and mm. son and prophet. They wouldn't say son. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. It's not the same they, way we they say de- son. They definitely don't believe he's equal with God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the okay. same way we'd say son. So then even him being fully, that's, that's well, one of Even the, then, they might not even claim that. They would claim yeah. he's just merely a prophet. But, and they would provide he's equal with Muhammad, Abraham. Yeah, possibly, yeah, for sure. And then they, yeah, Jesus was the last of the prophets, Abraham, Noah. Yeah. Jacob. Uh, well, Abraham's ma- called a prophet. Ma- major prophets, Moses, yeah, yeah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, so he's, Ezekiel, Daniel. But, but then you read Hebrews, is not Jesus better, greater mm-hmm, yes. than Moses? Yeah, well, it's, 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 you know, God spoke to us through prophets uh, various times, various ways. He has In these last days, he's spoken to us through, through his son. That's my rough, mm-hmm. you know, quote of it. And, Again, the, I don't have and perfect recall, that, so. he's the perfect, Hebrews 1, he's the perfect imprint, the exact radiance. Colossians 1, yeah. Colossians 1. Yeah. That's the exact imprint and radiance. Yeah, that's um, that's different language than they imply. He, he just spoke God's word to people, yeah. right? So, like, the thought would be is that you're talking to the Muslim, and you would say you'd want to say to them, "Okay, let me do some more investigation about what Islam claims." You know, this is the idea of you're having a, a debate or a discussion or an argument. I mean that in a good way, like mm-hmm. an like, a, like an argument in the sense of like you're you're competing. You, fa- you know, you're. Yeah, you're trying. You're compelling. Or you're trying to win over somebody to not, a yeah, point of view. Argument, not in the sense it's getting heated, but yeah. it's a yeah debate. So think of philosophical sense of argument. Yeah, right? for sure. Um, like you, you could easily respond. Let's say you come to a standstill, and like there's things that he is saying that you've never heard before about the Quran and the, the Islamic, you know, claims of Islam. Like I think you could walk away saying, "Okay, I'm going to do some more reading." And you tell them, I'm going to challenge you to do some more reading about the truth claims of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you could, you could do that because, again, the resurrection is a linchpin here. Yeah. Um, they don't believe he even died on the cross. 
um, let alone the whole resurrection thing. It's just so, not even on the radar. So, so the thought would be you could walk away and say, okay, I will do some reading into what you know the Quran teaches and what is you know uh, Muslims believe about Jesus. You do some more investigation on what what the Christians claim mm-hmm. Christians claim about Jesus, and hopefully, um, I believe you know scripture is true <laughs> and that Jesus really rose from the dead. So like, if you do that, if you have mm-hmm. that approach to it, like the hope would be God would be at work in their lives and show them. Um, yeah. Of course, the problem is the pluralist right now says, Oh, how arrogant am I? How arrogant are you guys saying that Christianity is true? Mm-hmm. You know, another thing, correct me if I'm wrong on this. This is one of the disagreements or one of the examples, but I'm going to be humble and say, this is an area where I'm not completely sure in. Yeah. And hopefully we can be an example, but it turns talks in Jesus. Don't they believe he was similar to the prophets that the prophets never sinned? They don't believe Abraham sinned. Yeah, so the problem you get into is that, you know, there's just like there's dozens of different Christian denominations, right? There's there's sections Sunni, but like there's, you know, there's millions of, you know, there's possibly Mm -hmm. a billion billion or more Muslims in the world, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is like like you go to different countries, there's gonna be different and the reason I, the reason I was saying that is because I know the core difference about the Trinity. Yeah. They don't believe in the Triune God. Now the aspects of why they don't believe in that's where it gets fuzzy. I you know study, but I what the thing that leads to that broad claim. Okay, they don't believe in the Trinity. Yeah. And there's subpoints. Oh, I know this one. I don't know this one. That's where I need to get more studied. Yeah, at. And I would have to. I'd have to look into. Like, I don't. I don't know if they agree that Jesus never sinned mm-hmm. or Muhammad never sinned. I had, to, I had to look into it. Yeah, I really but, don't. I never heard that claim before. But the reason I was I was leading that into this next question that, from my real life experience of talking with the Muslims at Texas A&M, is that it always ended up with texts like my I don't want to say like a kid, but like my book's better than your book. Mm. My my dad could be your dad. Yeah, up, yeah, yeah. You know, that's an old. That's an old about early two thousands. Yeah, uh, uh, Christian heavy metal band. Song, my dad actually. can be your. My dad can whip your dad, right? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. Called, a band called Disciple. It's an amazing song. Oh, I know Disciple. Yeah. Disciple. Yeah. Long time ago, wrote it, said my dad can whip your dad. It's all based off of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. I'm not That's so good. The conversations always came down to which Bible, which book, which religious text is more yeah. valuable. So, what would your response be to that? Because I'm, I'm, I mean, never without fail. We talked to him like four or five times. Yeah. That's where it went. I even one Muslim guy. He said, "Show me." Show me one place where the Mus- uh, where the Quran contradicts itself, where the Quran mm. contradicts the Bible. I'm sorry. Okay. Show me one place where the Quran, yeah. and I'll become a Christian right now. Yeah. Speaks Arabic. Just yeah. like John fourteen six. John four. Yeah, yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Gave him three. He goes. No, that ain't right. That's not, <laughs> you're right. You're right. That's the thing is that that there there is a point to which we have we should have the humility to know yeah, we that we don't we, we can, don't save people. Exactly right. Like we can't force somebody to change their mind even if we you know even if we have you know 14 points of evidence that's just a mm. random number i just made up um like all these points of evidence and it seems very compelling to us we can't force somebody to change their mind we yeah. can't do that we can't that, change somebody's heart that's something i really struggled with early in my walk with jesus like always compelling insane things i felt like sometimes i would present the gospel horribly yeah. but sometimes i'd be like dude I presented it, I laid it out in yeah, the three so circles, in the so 50 circles. I did every tour yeah, I uh-huh, was taught. Uh-huh. You need to get it right they now. Don't but care then, at all. But, I mean, then you, I mean, I, but the fact that we don't save people actually should free us. It should. should. And I was carrying a lot of weight, I was carrying a lot yeah. of burden. Because, um, um, so I, I've met with Latter day Saints for, uh, I haven't done it in a couple months now, but like, I met with Latter day Saint missionaries on and off for two and a half years. 
Um, it's a real struggle because, you know, the way I'd want to think about it is like, I'm, I'm going to paint them, I'm going to push them into a corner where they have nowhere it's else like, to go. Yeah, you're going like, to. I'll, I'll force them over there and then I'll make this compelling argument. And you do that time after time after time, and realize that like it's not. It doesn't have the effect you think it's gonna have. Yeah, I can't. I can't force this issue. Like I want to like, think pragmatically about it. I'm gonna paint them in this corner, uh-huh. and then the Holy Spirit, as I paint uh-huh, them in the corner, boom, right there. Yeah. You know, I wanted to. So, so part of me was hoping in the weight of my argument, not in the work of the Spirit in their lives. So That's I a struggle bar. with that. I struggle with that. Um, I've seen, let, me, I, let me address something else you said though. So. Um, again, it's, it's meeting with Latter-day Saints and how you said – you didn't say kitschy phrases. You said like – there's another word you said, like succinct phrases, pithy statements. Slogan. Slogans. There you go. That's the word you're looking for. Um, that's what the word I was looking for. Um, that, that so many of these people – and I found it with Latter-day Saints that they would live towards slogans. You know, the idea of like, you know, God put a feeling in my heart that this is true. Mm-hmm. Um I interact with Christians all the time who have the same same issue. Yeah. Um, I, I know Christians who will say God helps those who help themselves and believe us in the Bible. It's not there, right? Yeah. Um, um, I know Christians who will say believe in yourself. You know, just follow your heart. Man, that good Lord, he just, oh, what, is, what does she say? She says something along the lines of, uh, like, the good, the good, like, she re- recognizes her faults and her sin. She's like, man, that good Lord. Hopefully, hopefully, takes care of me when I get to heaven. It's like, hopefully, oh, like, yeah. ho- like hopefully, yeah. when I get to heaven, he'll take care of me. You just you pray for me. Say a prayer for me. She, yeah. she put throw out those uh-huh. those kind of helplines. Yeah. Say a prayer. The jargon, Christian and, jargon. And I think what it is is it's a one of those checks off the bosses. Oh, I'm talking. Hey, I need prayer. Hey, yeah. but I'm not actually putting real work into yeah. pursuing Jesus and seeking after him. Yeah. But oh man, hopefully one day God will like God. God will save me when I when I go to heaven. Hey. I'm just so. I know this is real vague, but this is just another example. Point being, that's just another example of what someone was saying. But get back to what yeah, you were so, saying. So Christians can f- fall into. So this pluralist who's saying, "I have you know, like knowledge of the elephant," um, but they do it in a sense of just living by slogans. Um, um, you know, the, the slogan I hear all the time is, "God doesn't. You know, you're not supposed to judge anybody." You know, God's, God's not a God of judgment. I'm like, uh, read the Old Testament, he read the New is. Testament. I'm like, read, read, read Revelation. I'm like, uh, I think you're mm-hmm. um, a little bit off there. Yeah. Um, um, but Christians fall into the same problem. They, so, they fall into the same slogan, living by slogans. The classic one for me is God, God will not give you more than you can handle. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, James 1, 3, rejoice. Basically, like, count it all joy when you count. That's First Peter 1, I think. Yeah. No. Whatever it is. Yeah, count it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. I think that's James 1. Respond to the, t- the, the Muslim, me talking to the Muslim about the text issue. Okay. You get in a conversation, they say, it comes down to my text versus your text, which is more reliable. Yeah. How do you answer? How do you go about that? So based off of Luke 24, I would say prophecy. Um, you know, the road to the Emmaus where Jesus is talking with the disciples, some of the disciples, and basically like he's saying, he says ultimately that, what was written about me in the law and the prophets and the writings must be, must be fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus predicted his death. The Old Testament predicts his death and resurrection, um, where he'd be born. Like things like that are hard mm-hmm. for me. And my understanding, I don't I don't view 
the Quran. Again, I have a lot more reading to do, but I don't view the Quran the same right way. You know, the, the doctrine of abrogation, right? The actually the later writings. A lot of Muslims believe the later writings in the Quran supersede or are more important than the earlier writings. Yeah. Um, and there's versions of Christianity. There's denominations and viewpoints of Christianity who view the same thing about the Bible. Basically, just forget the Old Testament. Let's get the New Testament. Um, guy named Marcion back in yeah. a long time ago. Um, um, but because uh, if we claim that the Bible is one, this is from Bible Project, right? One unified story that points to Jesus. That, that there's all these things written about Jesus mm-hmm. over hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You need to take the claims, not merely at face value, but like you need to investigate claim claim by claim. Does that make sense? You can't just say, yeah. well, just lumping it together. Oh, it's all just it's all just errors and all this other stuff. I'm like, well, you know, you have to dive deep into this and 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 wrestle with these claims. In the same way that I should so for example, when I met with Latter-day Saints. I read the Book of Mormon. Started reading Doctrine and Covenants. I started reading what they yeah. what they believed. I started listening to um, their prophets, their apostle, like teaching and stuff like that. And I, I tried to wrestle with it, um, like generally, like have an analytical mind and wrestle through it. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason when I get into those conversations, I used to always bring up manuscripts. Like that was yeah. one of like talking about trusting in the weightiness of your argument. I used to always be about that, but lately. We live in a culture, especially in a college environment, everyone, TikTok, the social media, there's so many competing arguments, yeah. and everyone can judge. If you look something up on the internet, you can justify it. Yeah. So take that and put it on religion. If I say, dude, we have 18,000 manuscripts, I wrote a, I wrote a speech in, uh, for sophomore year of college about the amount of manuscripts we have today of the New Testament stack a mile and a half high. Fragment, you know, I don't know, yeah. the, but like the the a stack a mile and a half high, okay. five fifty two hundred fifty two eighty fifty two five thousand two hundred eighty Greek New Manuscripts or New Testament manuscripts, all whatever, all these stats yeah. just fall so dead on people because yeah. they're like, well, they can't touch no, it, taste it, feel it. Yes, it's not in front of them. Like like they they can't read that Greek manuscript. Yeah. Um. So we, and we, it seems like distant. Yeah. Because we, like you said, like you watch Case for uh, Case for Christ the movie, yeah. and they have it framed, like in the, it's, it may be fake, it may be real, but it's a, a some main, kind of manuscript frame, manuscript framed, okay. an old one. Yeah, you can it's like you, you can, see it, you're touching it, right? Yeah. But then so sometimes there's a thing called Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts. Yeah. Um, you know, after looking at the name of a guy named Daniel Wallace started it. Um, it's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I could be wrong about the actual thing, but you can look up all these. They've digitized all these mm-hmm. Greek manuscripts. You can just go look at them. They got them from yeah. all over the world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that's also another reason why I don't like bringing it up because I don't know these stats. Yeah. So I'm not going to, oh, bro, we got more manuscripts than you yeah, and yeah, not be ready to pro- be in a place where I can provide actual statistics. Yeah, you need to, know the, con- you need to know the content of those manuscripts, the actual like nature of those manuscripts because a lot of those manuscripts are actually copies of other copies. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So you would say to answer that question to the person, you say intertextual criticism. So, inter, so in, intertextual inter- textual connections. Textual connections and then textual criticism. Prophecy. Yeah, textual criticism. So, um, yeah, the, the, the two people I'd bring up is going to Peter Gurry. If you get him on YouTube, um, yeah. he's a t- guy who teaches in Phoenix. Um, really awesome. 
actually just him and another guy wrote a book called Myths and Mistakes in New Testament Textual Criticism. Um, um, it's the idea of these arguments that, like, again, like I don't want to bash Lee Strobel. I think he's done some really good work, the guy who did Case for Christ. But his, when, when you bring out ideas of, oh, we have this many manuscripts, it's way more complicated than that. Massively more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. When you bring out the idea of, like, oh, well, the, the, the statistical likelihood of, of all these random things happening to Jesus are, you know, this number, you're misunderstanding the text. Like, the, the, the text is a unified story that points to Jesus. Like, the goal is, like, every, every book that- is building on top of each other to point to the Messiah. We want to be careful about making claims about things, and I struggle with this too. I'm not saying I'm not I'm I'm not the exception here. Um, this is why I brought books with me because, like, again, I don't have perfect recall. I can remember a lot of stuff I read, but sure. I don't have perfect recall. So, like, one of the goals would be as a Christian is to read difficult books that have a lot of meaning, like that have a lot of evidence and wrestle through things by written written by really smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying it has to be this way for every Christian. Um, but if you're going to believe, you know, 1 Peter 3 about having an answer for those who ask, who challenge your faith, that's my summary of it. And then um, that's not an exact quote. Um, and you're going to be engaging people who don't believe in Jesus. If you're going to be having a conversation with them and loving them and serving them and trying to talk about your faith with them, uh, you're, going to, you're, going to be, you're going to feel like you're going to be stuck in a corner sometimes. Like, well, I don't know what to do with this. Um, so hopefully it's a lifelong learning process to where you're always learning something new so you can engage other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm asking you another question that you just you just spurred my thought. I want to address your question about, we talked earlier about the idea of, not recorded, but before we started recording, yeah. about the idea of, um, oh, they just believe because they grew up in this region. So can I ask you a question and then we go to that yeah, one? Well, it's yeah. the same, it's all, it correlates. Okay. okay. They're talking about entrepreneurs. They're talking about the burdens and overthinking and the load management that yeah. entrepreneurs have to bear versus a person with a nine to five. Yeah. Simple life. They get their check. They get to walk their dog. They get to do normal people things, go to the bar on Saturday nights and just live life. Okay. Apply I this. I'm a Baptist pastor. I don't go to bar on Saturday nights. So go. Thank you for that. <laughs> Apply this to this conversation about religion. Yeah. A blissful ig- ignorance. Yeah. A faith that's just blissful ignorance. Hey, I enjoy being a Mormon. I enjoy being Hindu, uh, Muslim, or fighting and challenging and yeah. working way, thinking your way through all these tough things. A lot of people would just take a blissful ignorance yeah. in an easier life. And you could even take that, and I know what you're about to say to answer that question. So that's 1A. 1B would be to the Christian who wants that blissful ignorance. Yeah, so... Um I'd want to say this is it's, it's about seasons in your life. There might be a season in your life where you don't need to just be killing yourself with study. There might be those seasons, right? Yeah. So I, I want to affirm that possibility. But as a general rule, <laughs> I just want to completely reject that premise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, like if, again, if, if the Great Commission is... So let's, say for the, let's address the Christian. Um, um, for the Great Commission... To be the command that hangs over our head in a good way, sorry, yeah. in a good way, um, that we're called to make disciples of all nations, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Um, if that's going to be the motivating, driving factor of the Christian life, again, there's other stuff there too, right? Glorify God, love God, love neighbor, you know, all these other things. But like, if as far as activity goes, that is the driving command 
that is that is applicable to all Christians. If if the name if the 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 phrase all the nations, you if if that's what you're going to make disciples of, you need to know your know your Bible. You need to know why you believe what you believe, so you can engage these people. There's not. I'm not saying that every Christian needs to be this uber perfect intellectual kind of academic kind of person, but they need to know why they believe what they believe on a foundational level mm-hmm. so they can engage other people. Yeah. Um, they need to know, again, let's say they have a long-term relationship. One of the other examples um, of recent times is like, I've been talking a bunch with a Roman Catholic person, um, grew up Roman Catholic, really struggling with what they believe. Um, I have some major disagreements about what they believe. Um, but I'm not sitting there saying you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. I'm saying investigate, investigate, read, investigate, look mm-hmm. into, watch videos, um, listen to other thinkers um, to help them t- come to their own conclusions. For the person in, in the religious world, you know, the broad religious vague world who's just, you know, content and happy with their, their normal everyday practice, um, what my hope would be is they would meet a Christian who would challenge them. <laughs> Like, um, and say, you know, the Hindu, um, let's say they're in College Station, the Hindu in College Station, the hope would be they, they would sit down with a Christian and be like, okay, let's have an open conversation and actually really wrestle through what we believe together. Um, and even for the person I degree, disagree with their religious perspective, I would tell them to delay judgment. This is why I tell Christian, uh, like seniors in high school every, every year, um, um, typically at camp or, or in some other way, I'll eat dinner with the seniors and I'll say, okay, number one, <laughs> number one piece of advice I have for you that was given to me um, that is still to this day very meaningful to me is that, okay, so you're going to be in classes, especially if you go to a state school, um, you're going to be in classes where your faith is challenged. You're going to have relationships of people of different perspectives where your, your faith is challenged. Your goal is not to immediately just shut them down, not to immediately just just have a crisis of faith. Your goal is to delay judgment, to wrestle. Like we want to commend. No, exactly right. No, exactly right. We we throw the idea on the table, and we're willing and open to wrestle with our doubts. And what it, I I believe again, if we truly believe God's sovereign, God's faithful, and God's word is true, that we should not be afraid of wrestling with our doubts. You shouldn't. You shouldn't be afraid to dive into Exhibit A. The example. I don't know the manuscript counts. I don't know why the no. Quran is more validated or yeah. why they claim. You just shouldn't be intimidation to jump into this question. That, that shouldn't give no, you fear. Shouldn't that shouldn't. Yeah. And so, so I think there are very few, if any, questions. Again, there are absurd questions like the whole idea of like, could God create a rock that you couldn't lift up? That's just a foolish question. It's it's. It's an illogical question. It's not worth investing. Yeah, it's not productive at all. Um, why can't I see God? Yeah. <laughs> Wrestle with that. Like, don't just say, "Well, okay, the Bible says this," and so it's that easy. You know that that um, there there is, in a sense, again, we want to agree when we're, we we want to address it with Scripture. We do want to do that. But when I say the Bible says this, we don't want to make it a slogan. Right, like that's the problem. The problem is not. Um, there's actually an issue here. Um, a guy named Andy Stanley is a pastor in Georgia, um, who actually talks somewhat in this way, but he got, takes it to an extreme. My goal is not to bash him, um, but he 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 keeps on saying over and over again in sermons, basically that, um, and in a book he wrote, 
um, that we believe in the event of the resurrection. It's not a, the Bible tells me so faith. I'm like, well, no, those aren't contradictory truths. The, the, the Bible, is the Scripture is how we access the truth claims of the resurrection. Um, but we don't want some surface-level understanding of the Bible is what I'm trying to say. Sure. Like, we want to dive deep and investigate into what the Bible actually says about why can't we see God? Let's wrestle through it, and then be willing to be uncomfortable when we wrestle with those things. Be willing to talk to friends who you know have a solid faith. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's yeah. So reading scripture there when it comes to your doubts, you know, br- talking to brothers and sisters in Christ who who have a solid foundational faith and actually discussing it openly with them is one of the best things you can do, in my opinion. I would say the first two reasons come to my mind is number one. If the Christian has doubt because of this blissful ignorance, well, obviously hell's real, heaven's real, or yeah. you believe, you're claiming you believe in these things and you're having doubt, step up, step in, answer the call, go yeah. pursue knowledge. Yes. Second off, if I have friends that ask me questions, so you said they're Roman Catholic, yeah. I want to be able to aid them. Yes. I want to be able to no, that's steer exactly them. That's a good word. Aid is a good word. I want to be able to like point them in the direction and I don't want to be... That's not to say, like, you won't ever, like, just yesterday I was with a buddy. He asked me a question I didn't know, but, I mean, loving people. Yeah. And, I, oh, what is it? What is it? I think it's Philippians or something, but, like, pursuit of knowledge actually aids obedience. Yeah, I don't know the reference. I, it's, 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 I butchered it as a paraphrase. Yeah. But the, that's true, a true statement. I think I, that I the pursuit that. of knowledge. I don't know the like, of it. So true. blissful ignorance is actually hurting you probably if not hurting you or right by it's keeping you the same in your faith yeah. you're not being sanctified you're not growing and by staying the same that's a negative yeah so i say maybe you'd be content over in your little corner there but yeah. are you engaging other people in other worldviews yes like the gain the pursuit of knowledge about god is to be a to use to aid in your yes. worship of god yes. which gr- aids in your obedience yes that's really of good god. that's really good and that, I could free try there. Right there. I could really free try there. Um, um, but yeah, and that's the other thing too, is that the hope would be is that when you put that doubt on the table, why can't I see God? You wrestle through it biblically. You wrestle through it in conversations. You wrestle through it by reading some books and maybe address the issue. Um, and you put it on the table, you wrestle with it. Hopefully the response is not, oh, oh my gosh, okay, now I have 14 logical reasons to answer this question. The hope would be you worship God. And that you yeah. the scales from your eyes should be if you're an unbeliever, this should be peeled back, and then if you're a believer, yeah, it should be lead to more worship and praise. Onion layers, and then just to describe it, right? Then God is maybe preparing you because you wrestled through that doubt to what you're just saying. Maybe God has prepared you. There's somebody in your life you work with, you go to school with, you whatever, whatever, a family member maybe that actually has been wrestling with that doubt for years, and they've been too afraid to talk about it. And you sit there and say, "Hey, hey, man, I just, yeah, I've been struggling lately with the idea of, of whether you know, why can't we see God?" And and the person responds like, "You have that doubt? Like, what, what do you mean? Like, you're the strongest Christian I know. Like, why would you have that doubt?" And then you open a door to love that person and to help them. Um, and and you can say, "Okay, here's how I wrestle through it. Like, I want you to to wrestle through it in your way, but like, here's the process I used to wrestle through it with Scripture." prayed about it a whole bunch, talked to people I value, read books that are meaningful related to this issue. Um, Go into the question, you're only 
the religion in which you were born in, the location of the region you were born in. So what it makes me think of is Acts 17, right? Um, this is what Acts 17 is Paul talking to a bunch of people who believe in a bunch of different gods. Um, it says, from one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed time, sorry, appointed times, and the boundaries of where they live. It's like, that's, that's a massive claim. Mm-hmm. Like, you live where you live because God put you there? What? <laughs> like, the yeah. political boundaries in countries that are here because God's made those things? Mm-hmm. That's a whole other issue to wrestle with. But he did this so that they might seek God. And perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are all his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, then we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So Paul's appeal, um, Paul's appeal to people who know nothing about Jesus are the nature of God, his sovereignty, and Jesus rose from the dead. Um, yeah. So, but what points out to me here is that it's, it seems like, right, he says that um, he he appointed these times and boundaries where they live, he did this so they might seek God. So there's one part Well, I'm like, okay. You were born in a region that has no access to the gospel. Yeah, so this is what you got to wrestle with, right? The idea of, again, think of, um, you know, let's say you, you grew up as a kid in Afghanistan, right? Yeah. And, um, you know, Americans been over there for a long mm-hmm. time. <laughs> but yeah. even then, let's say you grow up in a remote region, you've never even heard the name of Jesus, yeah, tough pill to swallow. Very tough. Tough pill, you know, issue issue Ish. to wrestle through. Yeah. Um, but that's not what the claim of this question is, though. That's maybe a whole different topic to go mm-hmm. down. The claim of this question is: Oh, you only believe because your culture believes. Yeah. Right. So, um, there's a thing called Lutheran satire. I sent Cole the video yesterday. Didn't watch um, it. He hadn't watched it yet. I was busy. Um, I was editing videos. Um, um but it's. It's a goofy cartoon, but it's, you know, these two, um, you know, goofy Irish fake cartoon people talking to Richard Dawkins, who's an atheist, you yeah. know, written a bunch of books. One, one of his most famous ones called The God Delusion, um, um, how basically just Christianity and the idea of God is just a foolish belief um, based on science. You know, he, he's a scientist. Um You know, I, I reject the premise altogether. Point being, though, is that this issue is an actual categorical error. Um, um, does this is the thing the video that points out? It's so good. It's so cheesy and so goofy, but it's so good. Um, is the truth or you know the truth or or, or lack of truth, the falseness, falsity, whatever word you want to use, um, are the truth claims determined by region of where somebody grew up? Right. So like, should 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 LGBTQ? I always use that as an example because yeah. that's the most polarizing. Be okay in America but not okay in Afghanistan? Yeah. Or should a religion be okay in Afghanistan and not okay in Brazil? Yeah. Should, does does region determine the objectivity of whatever is being claimed? So we, we, uh, we don't, 
Water sucks. Water sucks. Like that could be another. <laughs> I hate water, and that's the objective truth. No one drinks water. The parallel for me is moral, moral, moral truth claims. Again, so you're saying murder's wrong in, you know, the Sudan, um, um, you know, Central Africa, um, but murder's right in India. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't work that way. The truth, whether it's true or not, is not determined by region. So you need to actually address the truth claims um, related to what the claims actually are and argue against the claims, not the people. So then it wouldn't be, if it was per region, then it's not truth. Because the definition, yeah, no, exactly right. It's not true. Because the definition of truth, I mean, can there be universal truth? But that's what truth is. Truth yeah. is, I mean, I, so, the, so you the can definition. deny that it's universal truth, but that's an actual different argument than the argument you just made. Yeah, like it's, it's a different category of argument. Um, so the issue is that is, are things in the world true or false determined on the region that you live in? Yeah. Um, because this is the actual claim. We believe this about God. Again, the thought is, is that there's more Christians in the United States because there's more access. Right? But there are a lot of Christians in India. There's, there's possi- possibly, we don't know the number, you know, there could be 100 million Christians in China. Right, really? could be, could be. There's over well over a billion people in China. One tenth of China could be Christian. Right, they're they're a, a hard nosed atheist culture with a lot of control over religious activity. Um, um, there's actually government organizations that that if you're not an underground church, you have to have somebody from the government who's an atheist, basically a communist, overseeing your church. Right. Um, so let's say there's 50 million genuine Christians. Again, I don't know that number. No one's gonna know that number. 50 million genuine Christians in China, like their culture completely radically disagrees with all that. Right? Yeah. So like like your your evidence like runs either way. The book of Acts runs the other way. I would Nobody say believed. Every nation, tribe, tribe and tongue. tongue. I mean, I, this is super you know, basic verse, but I, I So let's talk about what the actual issue might be. Um cultural ties to yes. it. Kings and queens back in the day doing crusades with ties to Christianity. Well, well, I would say now one of the issues that have last 50, 75 years, even last 200 years, I'd say, that has happened is that that oftentimes people who were missionaries thought in terms of not merely the message of the gospel, but Western culture. Like American or European culture needed to be imposed because it was better. Um, this is actually what was happening to the Native Americans in 17, you know 1700s is that like like there was a big giant push is that they were you know they viewed them as savages and of course they did you know they did savage things too but so did the Europeans mm. um, um, so did the Americans um, that they wanted the Native Americans to look exactly like clothing wise culture wise music wise all these things they wanted them to look like Westerners so that's right? where the negative connotation and yes. negative stuff gets tied into but not purely and that's that's always the issue is we attach personal experience um, context to the pure gospel and the pure yes. G, pure Jesus for who he truly is so so let me give you a, this is going to be a challenging example for everybody here right Please everybody listening it. that um, and you, I've, I've told a story to you a couple times um, you know um, I went to Ecuador a couple times worked among a people group called the Satchula and um, one of my memories of teaching a Bible study was sitting there with two women without shirts on. Um, because when we weren't, when Westerners weren't there, 
right? When 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 like Americans without shirts, no brawl. Yeah, no brawl. The restaurants <laughs> wide open, right? I'm sitting there, whole group is a semicircle, and they're over to the left over here. The necessary part of the gospel, okay, so I'm teaching the gospel to them. I, a necessary part is I'm not saying you have to wear a shirt. They have yeah. a different different cultural mores than we have. Again, when we weren't there, when the, the Americans weren't there, they were all walking around without shirts on, right? Yeah, sure. It was normal for them. It wasn't a sexual issue for them. So, like, for me to get there and say, well, okay, well, here's a necessary part of the shirts. gospel. Well, gospel and shirts. Gospel and shirts, exactly right. <laughs> um, um, same way for music, like they, they, they have a type of music was, you know, drum oriented. They don't have like a Western style of music, you know, with a rock band or anything like that. They don't have that. So to impose that on them and say, well, this is an essential part of Christianity. You have to sing amazing grace. Yeah. You have to sing it in this way, in this format is not an essential part of the gospel. So what they're actually like wrestling with oftentimes is that, that they're equating Western thought or, or American thought with directly with Christianity. Yeah. And Christianity in India looks radically different. Christianity in China looks different from, from our Christianity. Christianity in South America, Africa, it all looks different in their actual outward practice, music, sure. clothing, what a church worship service looks like. One of my favorite things and one of my favorite experiences going to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth is that we had a lot of Korean students. Mm-hmm. And it's a common practice in a church I went to in North Dallas, uh, common practice among Koreans in church is they all pray out loud at the same time. I was saying, let's try that next Sunday at First Baptist yeah. Floresville. Everybody's gonna be like, "What are we doing?" Sure, 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 sure. To them, it's normal practice. Yeah. Um, so that they're they're what they're doing is tr- oftentimes. So I'm saying this is one of the core issues that needs to be addressed. They're equating Western American thought with what Christianity actually is, like all these practices that we have. Mm-hmm. When the actual issue in this thing about region and stuff like that is actually what are the truth claims of the gospel? Yeah. Jesus is God. Yeah. Wrestle with that truth claim. It doesn't matter where you live. You could live in Japan. Wrestle with the truth claim Jesus is God. It doesn't yeah. matter your region. Wrestle with the truth claim that Jesus died and rose again. Yeah. Wrestle with that truth claim. Right? Um, doesn't matter what language it's in, doesn't matter what clothes you're wearing, um, doesn't matter what TV you like to watch or food like you like to eat. That is a truth claim that you need to wrestle with. Just like that's why I made the parallel. Is murder wrong? Mm-hmm. Right? That's a truth claim that shouldn't have anything to do with your language or where you grew up or what kind of house you grew up in or what kind of family you had. Um, it's a truth claim you need to wrestle with objectively. And so the thought that you're getting, so the, the problem is the Christian, the people who are attaching these things. The problem is yes. the people, not the gospel when you yes. analyze the truth claim. Yes. It's the people taking it. So we need to call, and this is a question you will recognize because Craig screenshot and texted me okay. when he texted it to you, but if the Bible was perfect and it is inspired directly from God, why are there certain scriptures that cause major confusion and division in the church and even lead people away from Christianity? So so my answer to him was the noetic affects the fall. Noeto basically is related to the Greek word for mind. Noetic is related to the Greek word for mind. Yeah. Um, um, the idea is that we have to have a epistemological... <laughs> <laughs> Epistemological goodness. <laughs> we need to have, uh, um, we need to have a a a enough humility to know that we can't perfectly understand all things. So there are. So that's one. So like, 
even if you could quote the whole entire Bible from memory, there are interpretive issues that you're still going to need to wrestle with that sheer, you know, being able to recite the issue doesn't mean you resolved any issue. Pure memorization and knowledge. That doesn't it's, resolve it's the, the actual thorny issues. Second, the second answer I gave him was that the Bible intends to upset you. Yeah. Maybe like, like the, the Bible is set up to make you uncomfortable. Like there are passages all over scripture that, that are, are saying, okay, well, you, you want to say, oh, God is like this, but then there'll be a text. You're like, oh my gosh, like God repented from, from, you know, destroying a, you know, this nation or something like that, or Israel got repented or relented from, God, God, didn't, God didn't repent. What are you talking about? God didn't relent. God didn't change his mind. Why would he change his mind? Like the goal is, again, there's answers to that question, but the, the goal is yeah. those texts are in there to say, okay, you think you have everything figured out? You don't. Yeah. Um, I think this is end time stuff all over the place. You read Matthew 23, you know, 23, 24, 25, and you're just reading all these things and you're just like, oh, I don't know what to do with any of this. <laughs> and you yeah. can read books on books on books that have disagreements about how to interpret all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um that aren't necessarily related to core tenets of the gospel. These are things that we realize that we need a humility that we can't understand everything perfectly at all, at all times. That's a good Um, answer. So again, so the way I like to put it and this, uh, this might make people uncomfortable, Christians uncomfortable. I want to say the Bible doesn't have smooth edges, it just has jagged edges, edges, right? The goal is like, you, you, you're not just going over a smooth surface. If that just have one book of, you know, 40 pages of list of commands, and, tr- you know, pithy truth statements. Like, just do that. Forget this, you know, 66 books written over thousands of years. Like, forget that junk. Let's just have one author, very, very smooth. Simple, make it words. easy. Yeah. yeah. But no, no, there, there's jagged edges to the Bible that you're, if you run, o- run over them, they'll, they'll cut you a little bit and make you feel uncomfortable. Personal experience, time period. Okay. I'm going to ask two more questions, yeah. and we're going to wrap it up. But the I was about to say something, but I want to ask you a question. What do you say? We're going to go back to the slogans, references, yeah. common slogans that people are living by or believing or t- telling other people. Can you smell what the rock is that, cooking? Is that one of those? I smell that the smell what the rock, rock is cooking. Yeah. No, the, no, no. I don't know. I know what the Dwayne Johnson. You don't know wrestling for. No. Do you know wrestling, Dwayne Johnson? No. no. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? I, slogan, that's right? never like, been. Come on, man. It's that never hurts. even that seen hurts. his eyes, but. God is different. God's harsh and angry and rude, mean, mm. destructive in the Old Testament, but loving in the New Testament. Yeah. Classic. Um, actually, a funny story about a friend of mine who was actually a, 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 a juror in a trial, a really bad trial in Louisiana. And, um, you know, a friend was a pastor, friend Brady, was a pastor at the time. I think youth pastor at the time, maybe. He could have been a pastor at that point. I can't remember. Um, but I remember him sitting down, you know, and him telling me the story about how the lawyer, they were, they were, you know, calling jurors, like, you know, booting jurors, talking to him, asking questions. He got to the first round, he's in the second round. And, um, basically the lawyer basically asked him like, you know, well, you're a pastor, you just believe in love and kindness and not judging people. Right. So like, why would you want to be a part of this? And I'm like, well, Brady's responsible. I believe God's got, got you know, righteous judgment. And and the lawyer's response, oh, you believe in that Old Testament God? 
You know, just think of Louisiana, Central Louisiana, yeah, old, like, Testament. old Testament God. Yeah. You know, uh, like in my mind, he wait. You know, he's a big old dude wearing like a suit. That's and when he say, "Oh, you believe that?" Oh, <laughs> that's, yeah, exactly right. that's what I picture in my head. That's probably not the case. Yeah. That's um, what I picture in my head when I, my head when he told me that story. Um, God is perfectly loving and perfectly just. He's proven that both in New Testament, and Old Testament. God, Jesus, man, you read Matthew twenty three, twenty four. Jesus has things that are so offensive to say to Pharisees in judgment over them. Like, so offensive. Calling them whitewashed tombs and a bunch of vipers. Like, like you, if you heard that in a sermon, like on a Sunday morning, you, you just congregation, you're a bunch of snakes. You're a bunch of snakes around here. Everybody's just getting insanely angry. So stop judging me. You don't know, you know, all this stuff. Like, Jesus very clearly passed judgment. Um, there's stories in the book of Acts about, you know, him killing people, the Lord killing people, Ananias and Sapphira. Um, um, there's a passage in first Corinthians about the Lord's supper, about people taking the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. And it says, Paul says that this is why some of you have fallen asleep, which is, which is a euphemism for dying. He's basically saying, you guys took this church, Corinth, took those Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. So God killed them. Is what he's claiming. I'm like, one, I don't have access to that kind of truth. <laughs> like, like you know, I'm looking at my congregation. Oh, you took that in an unworthy manner. God's gonna kill you. Like, I don't get to do that. Um, to say that God is not a good judge in the New Testament is to misunderstand the New Testament. Um, um, yeah. What has happened though is that I would say it's actually the execution of His perfect perfect yeah. judgment, which is the sac- The love is. The love sacrifice of Jesus yes. is the perfect execution. So of Romans three talks about he's a it's just, the fulfillment. He's the just and the justifier. Yeah, those who have faith in Jesus, um, praise the Lord that He doesn't give us what He what we deserve. We see that over over again in the Old Testament that Israel, like you know, a dozen times over, tests the Lord, and Moses intercedes and He doesn't do anything to him, or or Moses intercedes and he there's just a partial judgment, not a full judgment. His judgment is actually a byproduct of his love. His holiness is what I'd say. Holiness, love. So, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hol- nature, holiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's nature. So I would say that he has a holy justice and a holy love. It's perfect. Well, I, I'm talking about like, he, like the fact that he knows right from wrong, yes. sin from not yes. sin. And, and that's why judgment is even there in the first place. And the idea of love there would be the idea of that he loves the good. He despises the wrong. Like, like he despises injustice. I read Isaiah 1. He despises, he tells Israel, I'm tired, I don't want your sacrifices anymore. You guys are unjust and horrible, horrible people. That's my you know, version of it. You guys are horrible people doing horrible things to, to people who have nothing. I don't want to hear, I don't want your sacrifices anymore. Right? There's actually sections in Jeremiah about basically he says, like, I don't want to hear your prayers anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ezekiel the same way. It's like I'm just I'm not going to answer your prayers anymore. Like you guys are unjust and so wicked. So it's his love for the good, which is part of his holiness, right? His love for the good that actually leads to him being just. And then you That's read awesome. Revelation. The idea is that the whole universe will be judged. Um, yeah. Satan, demons, all people, and it'll be some really harsh stuff that will make us really uncomfortable. But we don't. It makes us uncomfortable, but we don't. A lot of people look, hey, he's a harsh and destructive and mean God in the yeah. Old Testament. We would look on that with like negativity, but we should almost 
desire for him to be judge. We should long. We for should. Him. We should. Because it's like, oh, he's old. He judges over there. He's harsh God, but now a loving God. And that yeah. kind of goes into these slogans we've been talking about. Oh, God's going to forgive me. These vague yeah. or, you know, vague statements people make and live by. But God's judge. God's same yesterday, today, and forever. So yeah. the same God who killed the prophets of Baal or had Elijah yeah. murder them. No, no, no. Fire rained down. Well, then they, fa- got, killed then, they got killed I, too. Did yeah, Elijah yeah. kill him? Or? Yeah, so. He killed all these prophets after displaying sword, his glory. Yeah. Is the same God who is saying you've sinned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Super, super loving verse yeah. that gives people hope. Yeah, is the same God who did. So yeah. it's like well, again, like you and, say and, and, that, but, but, but people, they're worshiping idols. Yeah, yeah, and, right? like, that's what I'm saying. People, worshiping idols in the New Testament, they're drinking wine the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, in honor of Jesus' sacrifice. Yeah. And God, Paul says he kills them. I'm and like, it, like which one's harsher there? They're, they're, they're saying God doesn't exist. The Lord isn't really the Lord. I'm going to forget the Lord and worship all these things and do all these horrendous things in the name of Baal. He kills them, but but Paul says he kills people because they took the Lord's Supper the wrong way. And why would you say the response is, why would I want to serve a God like that? Yeah, well, my response would be like that, that one, you want justice. Everybody wants justice at all times. Like, we want justice when it comes to issues we care about. When it comes to when we've been wronged, we want justice. If somebody murders your family, oh, well, thank God, loving, I, you know, God doesn't really care. No, he doesn't really care. There's justice here. I don't really care. There's justice here. No, you want justice. You rightly want justice. Um, when it comes to the big things in the world where there's wrongs in the world, like we live in a culture so that— we, we long for it. We long for it. We long for redemption. We long for—but it's just corrupted by sin. Misplaced. Well, that and where when you talk about harsh and like you may maybe feel it's unjust, that what often happens is you are taking moral stances on things from your own personal perspective and not in a, a perfectly holy God. So the example would be is that you read the Old Testament command to um, if basically a spouse cheats on the other spouse and commits adultery, you kill the spouse. Like execute, right? Like formal, not just to go just stab them, mm-hmm. but like formal execution. Like the death penalty was was there in the Old Testament for those who committed adultery. Yeah, that's that's forty million miles away from any thought in anybody in our culture. And so yeah. you might read that it's like God is so harsh, but if you're taking it from the standard of a perfectly holy God who set up a set up marriage in a certain way for you know a man and a woman for a lifetime, um. um in a culture where the Lord is the ruler over that culture directly, they're supposed to follow his law directly. That law makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. Um, and the appeal that we would want to make is people were naturally rebellious. Like I, I, I feel and I hear the, the cries of so many people, I'm not going to serve a God like that. I want to yeah. be my own God. I want to pursue. You see so many different reforms and things, yeah. abortion, controversial so let's, today. Let's bring it to line. To line, okay. Let's again. Let, let's say, let's say you have a boyfriend. Let's say you, like you know, somebody has a boyfriend. You know, uh, this, let's say a twenty-one-year-old college student girl has a you know young woman has a boyfriend who habitually lies to her. I mean, like every day, just lies all the time. And she thinks it's not that big of a deal. Oh, that's not. That's well, fine. no, no. I'm saying like like she will think it's a big of a deal. Yeah. Like when it comes to like lies of consequence, she's gonna respond and say like this is wrong, 
You, I can't trust and then you anymore. Why do you have the authority to even say that's wrong? You, well, I, I think if you have this perspective, though, well, we shouldn't ever judge anybody ever. When you are wronged, even if something related to lying, which isn't as big as abortion my, or murder, um, if you get lied to over and over again, you can't trust that person. You're going to want one. You want them to be confronted. Or you'll just completely separate separate yourself from them. But there's a part of you that will want them to get what their 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 due is. Sure. Like like there's a natural part of us who want to say that will want to say, man, I hope you get in a you know you'll sit with down with them. It might be even vindictive. Hopefully you could be loving towards them and forgiving towards them. But and like say un, an un Christian relationship. Oh, I hope. Well, you... even in a Christian, no, 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 yeah. a Christian would have this desire. See, like they could pray. I, you know, they'd want to pray. God, just put them in a relationship where they're lied to all the time. Yeah. And that's our desire for justice, is what that is. Yeah. Praise God that 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 He loves us lying, unjust sinners like us. Yeah. Right, this is this is how in that situation, if you've been lied to a bunch of times, you can forgive as a Christian. It might be really hard, but that natural desire for justice isn't a wrong thing necessarily. But but what supersedes it, what overcomes that is that we've been forgiven such a great amount that we can forgive others for their small amount of sin against us, right? Which is the, the, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Yeah. Um, that if we've been forgiven so much by the Lord, we can forgive people's sins against us. Yeah. Um, but that desire for justice is an inborn, natural, made in the image of God desire, in mm-hmm. my opinion. That you, you want things to be, you know, you want some equality there. Yeah. If, if you've been lied to a bunch of times, you want that person to be lied to a bunch of times. Again, praise the Lord that... That that justice is overcome by, by love. For sure. Last question, and I'm. This maybe seem out of left field, but I've heard it too many times to leave it out. Since we're talking about slogans, here's yeah. the last one. Bill Maurer was talking about this on a podcast with Howie Mandel, the old AGT. Okay. Judge. I don't know if that's what he's known for, but that's how I know him. AGT yeah, judge. No, he was. He was. He was known for deal or no deal back in when I was. Deal or no deal, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But he was on a podcast and he said that the Bible, like, how could you, how could you know? This is Bill Maurer speaking, uh, host of the late night show, one of the late night shows. Yes, and he said the Bible's racist. Hmm. The Bible's literally had slaves. It's racist. Um, How could you get behind a god or religion that supports this kind of viewpoint? And yeah, I'm not. I was gonna say something else, but I just let you like answer. That yeah, question. so the two answers are one that slavery in the Old Testament and New Testament, even though it's mentioned in the New Testament, is not race based. It's not. It's yeah. not based on the color of your skin or your or slavery in general. That can... yeah, it's typically based off of like you know nations that were defeated. Um, it was is based off of money. Um, it wasn't you know what we call chattel slavery towards a certain skin color. That's right. The, the the Africans that the Europeans were um, putting into slavery were from tons of different cultures. That you know they had this view of of skin color that was like, oh, they're cursed. They're they're less than we are. They're more savages than we are. So they're lower than us. So we can make them slaves. Um, the second thing is that that one of the issues you got to wrestle through, and and I look into it. So Ezra Nehemiah. For example, there's actually commands in Deuteronomy about this. I'd have to look at the references. I don't remember the references off the top of my head about intermarriage. Um, Solomon's given that command, and it's very clear in Ezra and Nehemiah. It's a problem that Ezra and Nehemiah saw in Israel that they shouldn't um, with other nations, other nations. But the, very clearly, every time but they the were worshiping given, idols, 
every time the command's given is always tied to worshiping idols. Yeah. So don't don't marry with these people because you're going to start worshiping their gods. And it's what you see over and over again in Israel is that they marry, they intermarry with other nations um, who have other gods, and they worship those other gods. You see it over and over again. Um, I believe that God is the exact opposite. Uh, you know, the scripture is the exact opposite of racism. Read the ending. Mm-hmm. Revelation 5, Revelation 7, it's every nation, tribe, and tongue. Yeah. Right? We, we have all these means by which we try to unify the world or our nation or whatever it is. The gospel is the unify. Mm-hmm. Jesus himself is the unifying factor in the universe yeah. and for every nation. Yeah. That it, it is not based on your culture, it's not based on your language, it's not based on the food that you eat or the games you like to play or, or you know, um, what kind of house you live in. Sure. Like the, like the gospels for everybody. You have, I say this all the time to teenagers, you have more in common with a Christian in China who doesn't speak your language, right, eternally, that is, that doesn't speak your language and might eat food that you would never eat in a million years. And you, you don't know how you could be friends with them. You have more in common, ultimately, than that buddy that's sitting next to you in your classroom. Who you have you all of all the same movies, all the same music. You play the same sports. Um, your family's similar. You live in a similar house. You might be next door neighbors. Um, you might have everything in common with them outwardly mm-hmm. in your culture, but you ultimately have more in common with that Chinese Christian because sure. you will spend eternity together. Right, maybe that person's not a Christian. Right, this yeah. person who's next door neighbor is not a Christian. If they aren't a Christian, you know, you have more in common with the Chinese person. Sure. In this instance. So, so talking about slavery in general, talk, we we got the racist question answered, but talk about slavery. Okay, okay. you worship a, a god or a Bible religious yeah. text that supports slavery. I mean, David, okay. they would have these people. They would win over, win a nation, win these wars, win these battles, and they yeah. would take slaves. Well, Joshua, think more like Joshua and. Judges prior, and stuff like that, prior, yeah. yeah. Um, what, would, what would be the defense? Um, what a defense for slavery? That's a tough one. Um, well, let one, me... there was a mechanism in Israel for the year of Jubilee, right, where slaves would be freed. Um, one, there was that. Two, there was a call for... So I think of the New Testament here specifically... Um, to wrestle with the Old Testament, you know, view of slavery, you're gonna have to wrestle through a lot of other issues about a theocracy, a nation ruled by, by, the Lord. You have to wrestle with other issues where it talks about the nation is then conquering these nations to yeah. then subdue it to. Well, a lot of times that, they kill, well, a lot of times they kill them all, which but, is maybe more, more yeah. problematic than the slavery part. <laughs> yeah, but um, to have a, the nations under God. Um, well, again, I don't think it's—I don't think it was like a a conquering kind of mentality, so they could be under God. It was, that's how it manifested. Aspect. Well, not even that. Most of the time, they were killed, or they didn't care about it. Like you see this in the book. If you read the book of Joshua, what actually happens is that that it sounds like they they have they have perfectly have the promised land all under control. Then you read the book of Judges, and you realize they don't. There's this idealism in the book of Joshua, which is. The author's intent, I'm not saying it's false. I'm not saying it's yeah. not true. He did give them a temporary rest from their enemies. Hebrews 4 talks about this. Yeah. But it's not a true rest. It's not this perfect ideal rest that they got. Um, Jesus actually deals with this issue to some extent with the issue of marriage. Basically, like, you know, Jesus says, you know, let what God has put together, let no man are put asunder. That's the King James Version. Let no man separate. And, and they respond with, well, 
Moses gave us divorce. And he said, well, Moses gave you divorce because your hearts were wicked. Yeah. That's why he gave you divorce. He realized, okay, we have a real sin problem here. We need to have some laws to make controlling boundaries around this. It's going to happen anyways. Yeah. And so this is my thought about slavery. Like the thought would be is that their hearts were wicked and that the Lord realized it was going to happen, that slavery was going to be a real thing among Israel and other nations. Um, so he put boundaries on it. Right? And I think to provide context, and you would have to correct me if I'm wrong in this, at least in the New Testament, I was uh, interviewing Adam, and Adam talked about the uh, Ephesians uh, no, 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 Ro- Roman centurion when he asked yeah. Jesus to heal his servant, which the servant was basically borderline slave in the context. Okay. And, but like, I mean, the centurion is a man of power, Roman or Roman soldiers underneath him. Yeah. And he has a servant. Yeah. And he treats him with respect to, to the extent of, I'm going to go towards Jesus. Number one, the centurion's faith to go to Jesus and yeah. recognize his faith, but let alone have the love for his servant. Yeah. I don't know if that's a one-to-one correlation. Yeah. I don't know if it is either because what happens is our history gets mur- murky in here because we want to like, I've heard the argument against, you know, I've, I've made a similar argument. Well, like the new Testament set out this ideal for how a uh, master should treat a slave, which it does. And, uh, right. Ephesians six talks about this. Uh, so slaves obey your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as you would Christ do not work by while only being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude. Then it keeps on going. I'll skip ahead. As masters, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them. That That's not even close to the kind of slavery we had 300 years ago. That's the, they yeah. split families apart on purpose all the time. You know, like, slaves would get hanged if they run away. Like, you know, like yeah. it, it, it was still harsh and still hard for most slaves. Roman Roman slavery was still a really, really hard thing. So don't think it's some like easy, they're just hanging around, and hey, I'll pay you 50 bucks to go do this. It wasn't that. It was really harsh, really hard. wasn't race-based necessarily. Um, um, but what happens here is that Paul's intention here is not to upend a cult. His, his intention is not biblical. He's talking to a church here. He's talking to a church... He could tell them to free all their slaves, but he's talking to a culture that he they already have slaves there. That's what I'm saying. It's a normal part of their culture that is not race based. So he's going to go harsh. liberate. Go, is he going to be a presenter of the gospel or a presenter of political reform? Exactly right. So his his goal is the gospel, and it, it, he's working from a framework of how does the gospel get displayed. That's the question he's answering. How does the culture? Amidst this culture, exactly right. That's exactly what he's answering. Yeah. Um, and he's saying this, this is how tr- sl- Christian slaves and masters are supposed to treat each other with mutual respect and love. Um, mm-hmm. So a harsh abuse. And he al- also says, like, basically, like, indifference from the slave, it seems like. The slave should work for Jesus, not for this person. Um, this is why people have taken this passage and applied mm-hmm. it to their work, like their jobs. I'd be careful doing that. That would be a very, very far application. Um um, so you so let me see this. So one of the things that has been argued, I have to do a lot more reading on this to see whether I believe this. Reading Philemon, reading passages like this, reading the Romans turning a servant kind of thing. Some people have argued that the principles of the New Testament are some of the motivating factors to rid our world of slavery, human dignity. We're made in the image of God. God loves us. Um, 
the abolitionist 1700s, 1600s, 1800s, like, you know, the Quakers in, in the 1700s who were just in Philadelphia trying to get rid of slavery mm-hmm. over a period of time. And, and you know, actually really story, interesting story. Really interesting story I just read. Um, so they actually requ- made a rule in Philadelphia back in the 70, late 1700s about if you had a slave that, that lived in Philadelphia for 60 days or more, no, for 60 days, at the 61st day, they're free automatically. So mm. what George Washington would do was he would basically like most of his slaves didn't know that it was working with him when he was, you know, the federal government was in Philadelphia. Most of the slaves didn't know that. So he'd send them off every like 45th day, 50th day, and send them back out of, out of, out of town, out of state. Um, so, wow. that, so that he could get them back. And, and six days would start over again. Wow. I do it over and over again. It's pretty messed up stuff, dude. It's That's really crazy. messed up stuff too. But like these things, like the Quaker rules, they they did that sixty day thing because they knew there was this big giant conflict. So they were trying to find a way to finagle or you know make a rule that would would start freeing slaves, but you know not cause just an outright war. Um, Quakers are pacifists anyways. They wouldn't go to war. But um, yeah. um, You think that's a perfect correlation to Paul, what he's doing? Similar. Like there's principles in, in, in Scripture that ultimately lead towards this longer goal of like a human dignity, inherent human dignity is a thing. It's, it's like mm-hmm. a truth that we are made in the image of God. Um, men and women are valuable in the eyes of God. And ultimately it's these principles that the Quakers and these other abolitionists in the 1800s picked up on Yeah, um, that – were the arguments they were making. It's like, well, these people are made in God's image. How can they be slaves? Biblical These themes. people are Christians. <laughs> these, even these slaves, these slaves are Christians, like Frederick Douglass. They're, they're Christians. How can we keep them in slavery? Um, yeah. So th- I believe these principles. Again, he wasn't preoccupied, like you said, he wasn't preoccupied with political reform. He was pre- preoccupied about how do you live as a Christian in the midst of a wicked culture? What we've just displayed here is by me, because I, I have no idea how to answer that question. When I looked at Bill Maher, I even texted you that clip, I yeah. think. Yeah. It said, "What?" I had no idea. Us having dialogue and us pursuing the answer, but still not knowing everything. But how many people go and say, oh, the Bible is racist, the Bible yeah. supports slavery, I'm not going to do it, yeah. and doesn't know anything of what you just said. Yeah. But just checks it off. Yeah, checks it off. It's just true. Um, they need to investigate this and read this. Actually, the... Suggestion I'd make was read read a book called "The Civil War is a Theological Crisis" by Mark Knoll. He's a professor. Mm-hmm. He was a professor at Notre Dame. I don't know where he is now, but like yeah. he actually wrestles with this issue about abolitionists and slave owners, and how it's actually a theological crisis for a lot of people in the South. Um, all that said, this is the hypothetical that I bring up: is that we can't. There are moral issues that we feel like very very solid on that people in the past massively failed on child labor again should 12 year olds be in a factory just working you know 50 hours a week nobody nobody would agree yeah like we would be offended and be like shocked somebody go to prison over that right 100 years ago 150 years ago different different scenario right so here's what i think of right my prayer and hope is praise the lord roe versus way was overturned and now it's back to the states my hope is that we get scientific advancement to a point where it gets to the point, you know, of, of, of being able to study babies in the womb. Again, we, we know a lot more because I think there's, there's, there's proof, statistical correlation or connection between um, a woman seeing the baby in an ultrasound and not getting an abortion. 
a woman who'd want to get an abortion when she sees the baby is less likely to want the abortion after she sees the baby in the womb. Yeah. My hope is that maybe we can develop, you know, develop, you know, technologically enough to the point where a hundred years from now it would be absurd, absurd to think of abortion. Yeah. Right. So think through this scenario with me. This this is the parallel I want to make. It'd be absurd to think through abortion because we know that baby has feelings, has a heart. But you know, all these things we might know about the development of a baby that we don't know now. Like I I'd ho- I I pray and hope. Again, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just hoping that it gets to a point where a hundred years from now, like we'll be seen as a barbaric culture. Right. Yeah. And then the That's question, crazy the, the, have, the question again, it's all hypothetical. I don't know this for a fact. If I can't the ten, tell the it's a tendency, the, the trajectory, the Reasons, trend yes. is that we will be. That we know more and more about People what happens. People look happens. at our culture and be like, oh my gosh, how could they how have How disgusting that and barbaric I were we? I thought literally 40 years ago, we had segregation. I was watching the Elvis yeah. Presley movie and I was like, my grandma, 50 years ago. my grandmother grew up in a, in a time mm. period where African American people and white people couldn't seem to eat in the same diner. Could not mingle. Couldn't go to movie theater together. That is, I was. It's radical. It, it, I can't imagine it. I had a, a epiphany. Is epiphany yeah. the right word? Yeah. I had a moment in the truck the other day where I was like, "What's weird, isn't it? What the heck?" Um, there's a whole other road I want to go down there. But point being, what if they look back and say our culture was insanely barbaric for ch- killing children in the womb? Again, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But, like, let's have some humility here, right? Because, again, again, race-based slavery is an evil, complete, utter evil. I, I have no support of it, but we're looking at, you know, slavery in the first century, um, and we're saying how, how disgusting are the Christians that they, you know, they're okay with slavery. Well, again, like, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? That, that, that we don't have perfect knowledge of the, our blind spots. We don't see them. Right, and let's admit that these people in the past had blind spots. I think Christians in the past, let's say again, like Christians in the 1800s, people who claimed to be Christians who owned slaves. I would say one again. I would have to wrestle through their Christianity. Uh, again, one of my one of my theological heroes is Jonathan Edwards. He owned slaves. Um, like he, I'd have to again. I don't know him as a person. I can't sit down across from him anymore. I can't do that. But when I hear him talk about the gospel, I believe what he's writing. Right. It's solid stuff. It's, it's encouraging stuff. It stirs my heart. I would have to wrestle through his faith about why he believes slavery is okay. But let's admit he has a massive, massive blind spot. So here's the thing. What if Christians 100 years from now come back and say, how in the world could these Christians allow 300,000 children to get, you know, or plus children to get murdered every single year? How disgusting are they that they would just sit there and didn't do anything? Right, and so the same thing could be for Paul. It's like, why didn't he do the the, the societal like mm-hmm. push thing? Um, again, he wasn't preoccupied with it. Um, That's so so it's, a it's, it's, very it's, good analogy. It, it's, 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 we need some humility here. Again, I'm not going to for one second be accepting of race based chattel slavery. Not going to do that. Yeah. It was disgusting. They did horrible, horrible things. Um, I'm from Indiana. You Southerners, you know, like, I'm just joking. There's a bunch of races all over the Midwest and North and it's too, right? Um, um, point being, um, I realize that let's look, let's look back on history and make some judgments. Again, splitting families apart on purpose so they don't get to stay together. Beating a slave because they're sick. You know, murder, you know, killing slaves, you know, all this stuff. These, this yeah, is horrible, disgusting. Go, yeah, yeah, they go on forever. Horrible, disgusting things they did. I will not for one second be like, okay, that's okay. 
They just had a blind spot. No, 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 not that. But let's have some humility about our own blind spots before we actually address the issue of slavery in the New Testament or Old Testament. Yeah. So basically you're saying, just clarify your words, you're you're cutting out the extreme examples of of slavery that obviously are biblically and morally wrong. wrong. Yeah. And then you're trying to, you're comparing the Jonathan Edwards situation to biblical slavery in the past. No. Jonathan Edwards, I think it was unbiblical slavery. Okay, that's what I'm saying. But I'm saying, but you're cutting you're cutting out the extremes that we know we know we yeah. know so, is wrong. So, you know, very clearly, again, I have to, I'd have to look up the verse, uh, and and maybe we put this in the comments or something like that. But like, um, very clearly in the Old Testament, stealing a people and forcing them to be slaves was you get killed for that in Old Testament law. So if you take a people and you just steal them and force them to be your slaves. And it wasn't like a war situation mm-hmm. or some money situation. You force that. In Israel, the people who stole the people get executed right then and there. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And my understanding, again, I have a lot more to read. My understanding, that's what American slavery is based off of, is stealing people. Yeah. So, like, according to Old Testament law, American slavery should have led, if we we're going to say the Old Testament law is over us, mm-hmm. which we don't believe that, yeah. but the Old Testament law is over us. Every person who had a slave, you know, somehow connected to the slave trade should have been killed, yeah. executed. Interesting. So this is not an easy issue. I mean, we just went yeah. down. We just went down. No, 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 no. I overall, that, I mean, those are some really good stuff. And yeah. I think there's a lot of, a lot of nuggets to, but it's even me just listening here. Yeah, it's going to, it's going to take me, you know when you hear something good, but you just... Yeah, I got to process it, yeah. You got to process it. It's going to take some some weeks, some months well, And, and there's still it. things that I want to wrestle through um, with this issue. Again, like, you know, read Frederick Douglass' autobiography, that, and he would argue that, that the slave owners he knew, he said he, they weren't Christians. Like, yeah. because, not only because of how they acted, but like, like, basically what they believed about people and and... He questioned whether they were Christian. Basically, called them not Christians and said they were horrible people, um, because our, our our actions do matter, right? Um, again, if you have a, if you have somebody who's claiming to be a Christian who's just murdered a dozen people and has no remorse over it, I think you, you're justified in saying I don't know if you yeah. believe in Jesus or not. Maybe you have some psychotic break, and it's you know you have a you know, complete crazy mental illness that's way far out there. So why you killed people? But I don't have a hard time saying, oh, yeah, yeah, well, he's still a Christian. Mm-hmm. He just he had a real struggle that day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Murdering 12 people, whatever it would be, right? Um, yeah. Uh, um, so, again, I, would, I don't have the chance to sit down across from Jonathan Edwards and be like, man, like, why do you have slaves based yeah. on race? Like, wh- why, why do you have that? Like, I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Like, based off of a, a slave trade that is stealing people. Um, and... Like, clearly in the 1700s, there are abolitionists making these arguments already. So, like, I don't know what to do with that. There's a bunch of podcasts about this actually out there about Jonathan Edwards and slavery issue. Wow. Because he's such a big, big deal in in American history, his, you know, American history and theology. Um, hmm. um, so I have no answer, perfect answer for that. I would judge him, though. I would, if I was sitting across from, I'd hope that I have the, the mindfulness enough, you know, like the 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 wherewithal, um, if I was sitting down from Jonathan Edwards 300 years ago, 250 years ago or whatever, and I would say to him, like, yeah, you're wrong here, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't have a slave. Yeah. Um, I'd hope I could do that. Again, whether he was a true believer or not, I don't get a judge. 
praise the Lord, I don't get to judge that. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not our job. Um, because there's a lot of Christians who have a lot of done done a lot of stupid things. Um, yeah. Actually, one of the issues. So let's let's make some moral parallels here. Um, one of the things that came out a while back, a German theologian named Karl Barth, um, um, very influential thing called neo orthodoxy. Some people say he's a heretic. I w- I, I'd be careful going that far. Um, there's some things I radically disagree with him on, um, yeah. but um, came out a couple years ago that he had a long-time affair with his secretary wow. for years. And I'm like, I, I, I've read some of his stuff. Like Some of his stuff is really good. I'm like, I don't get to sit down with him. One, I don't speak German, but like, yeah. uh, I don't get to sit down with him and sit across from him and challenge him. So there's a, humility, there's a humility there where like I can't... I can't judge the Christians from the past. I can judge them from the outside, but I can't sit down in front of them. I'm like, you know, so you're saying that, you know, you having this affair is compatible with your Christian faith? And I'd hope he'd say no. And it, it's a true challenge. It's humility, but challenging that we can look at that man and analyze his actions and analyze his words. Yeah. He's clearly, I don't know, he said he maybe some people think he's a heretic. He probably said some yeah, funny stuff, but he probably, stuff, yeah. you, you, you make it seem like he knew the gospel, he articulated the gospel. Yeah, and I, again, I don't want to make a, a big judgment claim, but let's assume yeah. he's a Christian. Yeah, you're talking about like, yeah, hypothetical situation. That has some wonky We voice. have to, our natural nature is to completely write off yeah. everything he said yeah. because of this action. Yeah. But you can't do that. It's tough. Yeah, you, you, it you, Edwards is a perfect example of that. I'm reading his religi- religious affections. There's gold in there, man. There's platinum. There, there's because that, you know why we can't do that because all of us would be disqualified. Yeah, and that's, that's my larger point. Again, it's not, it's not the ad hominem idea where we're, we're. I'm not trying to say you don't make a judgment claim. I'm saying that 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 picture of that that Christian hunter from years years from now who view looks back at an abortion and is just sick into his stomach about how barbaric we are, what that should lead to is, oh, we can't make judgments anymore because we have all these blind spots. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be more humble. Mm-hmm. And I think the to, the simple encouragement, because like, it got pretty deep, but it's yeah. like, good, dude, it's yeah. good, is that our, we, we aren't the judge. We don't determine yeah. whether people go to heaven or hell. We can we can make so, judgments from scripture though. Yes, yes. Over people sitting in front of us, and, so and the, even people in the past to an extent. There's hundred yeah. percent. So there's there's tension there. There is. We have to remain in the tension of dealing and looking. Ravi Zacharias, right? Oh to, gosh, don't even. Oh, but like, but, but, but like, but yeah. I'm, saying, I'm saying moral issues. I don't know what to do about moral, that. But but like he just, he was so influential. I'm sorry to just say, yeah. he was so influential in my faith when I was having doubts my first year of seminary. It was people like William Lane Craig, this book right here, and and Ravi Zacharias and and some of these other guys along with them, uh, J.P. Moreland, mm-hmm. um, not as not as well known, um, but that actually really really helped my faith. Yeah. And so like when all that junk came out about Ravi Zacharias, I, I want to say it's devastating. His my faith is not determined by him. I'm like man. I have like half a dozen Ravi Zacharias books. Do I keep mm. them? But the thing is, this is a completely superficial answer with yeah. not any experience attached to it. So take that because I haven't had that happen to yeah. me. But my answer to it would be like, if he faithfully preached the gospel. Gosh, I don't that. But he like sexually abused. I know dozens I know, of women. I know. I, know. And that, I can't read the book. Like right now, I they're on my yeah. shelf. I've almost thrown them away a couple times. 
I don't know what to do about that. But but is that hypocritical? Because I have I have and that's a larger volumes. question. I have two volumes of Edwards' works. I have two thousand pages of Edwards, and like I have like a dozen other books probably on Edwards. And that's the larger question: Is Matt Keller? You have lied. You have stolen. You have broken. That's the larger question. But then. If you but got, if you, but if, yeah, 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 if you but if you there's not there's probably disqualifying sense to ministry of yeah, course yeah. to ministry of sure yeah. you should be a teacher should not be a teacher, um, but that's not the question because we didn't have a chance to come out and yeah. reveal it and challenge him in the act or whenever it got revealed yeah, before alive. he died right yeah yeah but like the point of this all is like this is exactly the problem that this Bill Maurer saying oh, the Bible's racist yeah this is we just ex- yeah in like. A, it's so messy. Not even knowingly, so we messy. just presented another yeah. another yeah. example of it. But we have to remain in the tension and not tie this perfect, beautiful gospel that is note to flawed the sin, to yeah. the sins of to man. Flawed, messed up human beings. It sh- yeah. but it, at the same time, it should stir something up in us. Yeah, it should affect us. But we have to remain in the tension. It's yeah. it's. Oh, it's not about extremes. We have pure, perfect gospel, or we write them off completely. Yeah, it's never, it's, ne- it's never, never that, that easy. Yeah, um, it's remaining, and yeah, that's it's. But it's so hard because I've, ne- I've never had to experience it like that. So I, I, this is just no. complete abstract thought for me. Because like, I mean, I spent hours on YouTube watching William Lake Craig. There's a group called Stand to Reason that I love a bunch. Yeah, uh, I can't remember any of their names, but Robbie Zacharias lectures. Yeah, I've watched um, a couple. Um, and he was a great speaker, man. He really was. Great speaker, dramatic. Um, sometimes, I'd, yeah, we don't need to go down that road about my criticism of Ravi Zacharias as an apologist. But, um, yeah, it's tough. I don't know what to, how to handle that right now. I'm still, I want I want some humility there and say, like, okay, I don't have the answers for this question right here. Should I keep on reading Edwards? I'm going to because I love it. Like, it's such good writing. Mm. Um, but am I. Like, should I not? And that's why you you said humility, but I'm going to say with the L.E., humble. Yeah. We need to be humble and get on our face. Like, yeah. this this, this right here, this conversation, yeah. ha- makes my heart humble and be like, yeah. I can't do anything but, like, look to you and trust. Yeah, no, and, right. and I trust. need wisdom. I need wisdom I from need the trust. Lord. Yeah. That, that is not something I can, you know, I can reason for hours and it's not going to be perfect. Perfect answer to this. That's really good. So, it's a good place to wrap up, yeah, though. Yeah, it's good. Well, appreciate you, Matt, well, coming on. Well, let me do this then. That I want to want to highlight three books. When I said, like, you know, one of the things that helps me is <coughs> in response to big questions I have, I go to books and I go to like, you know, lectures and like this podcast. Well, not this podcast. KV Again, Kingdom Vision Podcast. I don't want to discount <coughs> reels or thirty second clips. Sometimes they're encouraging. Sometimes they're good, and maybe they'll they'll spark a thought into something else. But when it comes to these big issues of Christianity, you actually want to dive. You you want to be neck deep. You want to be you want to be submerged is what you want actually yeah. into the issue, not just snippets of thoughts. You know, you don't want just mottos. You don't want just slogans. You want to wrestle with these deep thoughts. So let me give you three books that you might need to wrestle through. So the first one is Reasonable Faith by William Lloyd Craig. This is really hard to read. He has a simpler version called On Guard. Mm-hmm. Um, there actually is the, the chapter on resurrection is gold for me. Second one is this, in defense of the Bible, it's actually these textual issues you're going to talk about that you, you wrestle with. Like, oh, there's this many manuscripts. It's actually going to address these issues. Is this 
lots of religions, or is it? No, no. This is in defense of the Bible, specifically towards anything like that New comes Testament, Old Testament manuscripts, Any, contradictions, apologetics, things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah apologetics related to the Bible. And the third one is this, and I know most people aren't going to read this one. Um, Why not? This, Why not, this, bro? Well, it's I'm trying to get off Instagram on my screen seven, time down. Seven, seven hundred pages long. Do it um, over six months. So N.T. Wright wrote a book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. It's both an apologetic and like a biblical analysis of an historical analysis of the resurrection yeah. and why we should believe it. Um, I read this in college, and it massively helped my faith. I have all these markings all over the book um, when I go back to about when I have doubts. Uh, I go back to the resurrection. That is resurrection biblical. It's true. Um, so any of these three books, if you have issues related to any of these you know, big questions you have, um, dive in. The information is out there. It is. I mean, they, like, people have wrestled with these issues for a long, long time. These are just things I have that are written in the last like 30 years. Like yeah. I have a bunch of old stuff written from the first, second, third centuries. Well, yeah. second, third centuries, basically, right? Um, Honestly, we need to, I would love to get you back on and take a slower, more pulled back, reserved, easier. On the palate, easier. Yeah, it's not easy easier, on the palate. This conversation is not going to be easy. Easy on to digestible palate. on each. We've covered a lot of different things, yeah. and cover like take it down from a thousand feet to. So like feet. like reading the sections on slavery like, in the Old Testament. Yes, right? like. It'd be good. I think it would be Sweet. beneficial, but yeah, appreciate you. Thanks for